Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for our super producer, Max the Ref Williams. The incorrigible. The incorrigible. Williams. You guys yes. know I absolutely, with all passion, hate refs and umpires. Like, I'm waiting for technology to make them, like, irrelevant, right? Wait, what's the one where you're like, underwear snitcher? No, that's pitcher. But there there are various rhymy kind of ways of, of maligning the other. Oh, yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? I hate them so it much. It seems like a dangerous well, but, but do you not acknowledge that they're, they, they're necessary? They serve a purpose? I mean, I'm waiting for their purpose. I mean, I, I baseball umpires are the worst ones. They Their purpose, they believe, is for everyone to watch them. Don't, they're, I, I mean... They're, look, they're, we're the star of this show. No one else take away from us. Watch us, which they're just, you know, they take away from the game. Did they're an efficient? Did 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 something happen? Yeah, who you hurt you, Max? Kid? I, I it, it's were Angel you attacked Hernandez, by a Footlocker Laz employee? Diaz, um, did you, God, Brian O'Nora, who funny note for anyone listening, this Brian O'Nora is currently under investigation for soliciting a prostitute. As in, he got caught by the FBI for in a sting for Max, soliciting Max, a prostitute, Max, okay. sex worker, if you will. Yeah. So no, I'm, that, that's just saying what the FBI said <laughs> okay, in Cleveland, fair. Ohio. Okay. Well, before you introduce those guys, FBI let us, said the p word. Before you introduce those guys, let us introduce ourselves. Yeah, I'm Ben. I'm Noel. You're Noel. It's this me. is this is part two of what is becoming an increasingly spicy series. Very on the spicy. History of basketball. A lot of hot takes and tangents. Dribbling is amoral. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really, really. I'm serious. You know, I'm the first to admit that I am not a big sports guy, um, but I always have always found basketball to be the most enjoyable and watchable of all of the sports. Um, and the history of it. It's just as enjoyable and, and listenable, um, you know, and I think uh, you guys are going to enjoy this part, too, a lot. 
So as as we we know, basketball became kind of a big deal, and it happened relatively quickly. I believe the first public game was played in a YMCA gym and was recorded or reported on by the Springfield Republican, and that was on March 12th of 1892. Um, We had around 200 folks show up to watch the game, despite having never heard of it before and not having previously existed. We don't don't have enough of that, man. We don't have, like, a new sport. Like, ooh, you guys hear about the new sport? (laughs) That'd be cool. I I might might get in on that, you know, like rollerball or, you know, like uh, the running man. That'd be cool. I, yeah, I love, I love the idea of new sports being invented. There are a lot Pickle of real quirky ones. Is, is is big. It's not new, but it's, oh. it's, it's, it's achieved insane popularity in the last handful of years. But I think it is sort of a newish game. It's, it's yeah. styled on kind of, it's like a full court version of ping pong. Isn't it kind you of? You could or? go in the other direction. You could say that uh, pickleball is to tennis what putt-putt is to golf. There you go. You know, and I, I say that because a good friend of mine uh, who actually listens to Stuff They Want You Know uh, is a a retired Marine n- who is now a tennis coach. Mm. He's the coolest dude. I met him just because we hang out at the local pizza place, and uh, he's got some hot takes. You dig him. Uh, but he... He hit me up a few weeks, oh gosh, a few months ago, actually, uh, because he teaches tennis and he's furious about the rise of pickleball. And he'll hit me up and he'll say- stealing my thunder, man. He's like, Ben, well, because he teaches pickleball too. And he's like, these people have no respect for the game. It's just a bunch of f***ing pickleballers out here. And I'm like, wow, you're- Beep. Thank you. Did you hear that pickleballs become so popular but th- that it's um, a lot of these dead malls that, that are like big box yeah. stores are being converted into pickleball arenas? I mean, it's solving a problem, I guess, because what else are they going to do with those things? Yeah, there are also uh, there are a lot of parody songs about it. NPR did a great piece on it where they talk about pickleball parody songs. Mm. It's yeah, I don't very know any strange. Of those. There is a, there was like a limited run. Maybe it was a YouTube series, but starring Paul Shear and his mm-hmm. wife uh, June Diane Raphael. Uh, that was like you know, a lot of those like Lonely Island kind of adjacent uh, LA yeah. comedian folks. Or what was it? Human Giant. Some of those guys. Oh, I love um, those guys. Yeah, yeah. They, they, there's like a like a you know sort of like a basketball kind of pickleball kind of uh, send up. But yeah, I mean. Basketball um, mm-hmm. really took off pretty quickly. Like, yeah. you know, just within a couple of weeks after this original game, the positives of it were immediately clocked by those in the field of, I guess, physical education. You know, they, yeah. they, they uh, acknowledged that um, folks that played and that were, were good at it had to have, you know, certain agility and sportsmanship and hand-eye coordination and stuff. It kind of combined some things uh, that existed in other popular sports, but it was inherently a little bit less brutish, you know? Right. It was, uh, it, it, there was this emphasis on agility, on teamwork, on nimbleness, as he said. And students who went to other schools would go to their own YMCAs and say, hey, we got to start playing this. You know what I mean? Uh, rugby and and face slap is for the birds. Face slap was a very popular game at the time. Jeez. Oh, my God. Uh, shout out to, to, I think, someone that you know as well, Gabby Watts, um, who's a local musician and comedian uh-huh. and uh, just launched a podcast that I think ridiculous historians would be a fan of. It's called American Filth. And it's all about, it's like a history podcast, oh, but it's very nice. X-rated. It's like, uh, and, and, and she recently did an episode on a, a little known American sport called Rough and Tumble, um, which, inv- where, which is basically Fight Club. 
uh, it involved like eye gouging and things mm-hmm. like that. Basically, it's like a fight to the death, but it was very popular at a time in the uh, probably the early 1800s. Face slap was exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I may or may not have made that up, but yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of weird sports out there. And uh, I got to say, basketball inspires a lot of very specific versions right. of basketball. You know, you've got, you've got people who are differently able playing basketball. Um, you've got, oh, that's true. Yeah. And then you've also got basketball where people just put their own weird rules mm-hmm. in. Horse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. well, and, and you can do one-on-one, you can mm. do smaller teams, you know, it's a lot like since, you know, obviously there are positions and stuff, but it, it's pretty nimble. Again, like I was saying earlier, not only do you have to be physically pretty nimble to like maneuver around, the it's, it's malleable, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there, there are different ways of doing it. And I, I don't think we mentioned this, but that first game that was reported on in 1892 was between uh, students and the teachers at that particular YMCA gym. Um, and I believe the students won five to one. Mm-hmm. Much more interesting score than what's reported for that first ever basketball game, one to nothing. But uh, still, gosh, it seems like the teachers just got trounced. And the uh, the article in the Springfield Republican credited the teachers with having uh, agility, but the students having science. Yeah. Meaning that they were younger, I guess, that their physical prowess is what led them to to win. I think it meant more that they had a better understanding of the game. Ah, uh, okay. So okay. they knew when to pass to whom, right, and and how to position players and stuff, just because they had played more often than the teachers who were at best watching the game. So we still don't know when exactly the first intercollegiate basketball game occurred. We know that high schools began introducing it in the early 1900s. By 1905, basketball was officially recognized as the go-to winter sport. and. In 1893, two college newspaper articles published separate recordings of different college basketball teams uh, going to court with each other. So we don't know exactly who was first, but we know that it set one heck of a precedent. Yeah, you know, we haven't really heard much of. Did did Naismith, like, patent this? Did he? Is this intellectual property that's protected when you invent a game? And he wrote down the rules. He pinned them to the wall. I mean, you know, technically, you can claim a copyright just by committing something to any media. You know, you can say I wrote the song because I wrote it down first or whatever. But um, even if you don't file, but I'm just wondering, like, did he become a rich man off of this in his lifetime? Or you know, that's a good question here. Um, he definitely. In the public mind, he definitely was the father of basketball. And anytime somebody brought it up, they brought him up. But I don't know if it's like a Nike swoosh situation. Yeah, and it's also sort of like whoever was the first that, quote, invented the fidget spinner, we don't know who that person is because either they didn't patent it or it was ununique enough that it could be done a a bunch of different ways. And I think that's probably true of a game. You, You can't really say you can't play my game unless you pay me. That's not really how games work. Yeah, it's it's just it, the way you would have to approach that is you could say you can't televise my game without getting a cut or you can't hold a thing where people pay to watch you play it. Right. But you can't stop people from throwing a ball around. No, I, I just don't get the sense that Naismith had any quote-unquote ownership over basketball, like as a trademark or as like a concept. You know what I mean? I think he was... Um, 
I, I think he was kind of driven by the mission. He just wanted to give it to the world. Yeah, I think he felt really interested in spreading it. In 1898, he becomes the first official men's basketball coach at the University of Kansas. Uh, he is also, at this point, the only coach in the program's history to have a losing record. Uh, and while he is while he is coaching these college students, he watches his original 13 rules evolve. Eventually, they do cut the bottoms out of the peach baskets and transform them to hoops. And free throws eventually become part of the game. 1901, dribbling is introduced. And that meant that now you can run with the ball. You just have to bounce it at the same time. Uh, Naismith originally said, look, the size of your basketball team can be anywhere from three to get this 40 players. Mm -hmm. And then they said, no, nah, that's crazy, man. We're going we're gonna to do five, five people on each squad. And that, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, the sport spreads everywhere. It goes viral, as they would say these days. You see professional leagues forming across the country. Basketball fans are cheer cheering on their hometown teams. So the game starts spreading like wildfire. And uh, yeah, man, that, that conversation about the whole ownership of the sport really intrigues me because obviously once you start getting into professional leagues, yeah. that's when there's money to be made and like endorsements to be had and all that stuff. And I was just doing kind of a cursory Google and it doesn't seem like Naismith like cleaned up. Like he, no money during he, his life. He, he, he yeah. did become a coach in Kansas later right. uh, to hilarious effect, which we'll get to uh, when the time is right. But this is this is it. This is when, you know, basketball really comes into its own um, in, you know, we're, we're, we're on the, the beginning, the, the, the very end of the 1800s, early 1900s, we start to see the formations of leagues in the U.S. Like the first one is the National Basketball League, um, which is, you know, I guess a precursor to the NBA in some ways. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. There were a couple of different leagues. Uh, we don't have to get too, too in the weeds, but just the high-level stuff. The first professional league was the uh, NBL, National Basketball League. Uh, that was six teams up in the Northeast, and that league only lasted about five years. It dissolved in 1904, and then three decades passed until 1937, and a new... Um, a new league occurred, and this league had corporate support. They had Goodyear, Firestone, and General Electric footing the bills. And it's really interesting, the the, Nas the National Geographic uh, article that we uh, sourced for this, which is behind a paywall. I'm having a hard time loading it up to get the uh, the, the writer uh, credit where credit is due. But uh, it, if you if you have a subscription, type in basketball. It's like the, the title is something from, like, from peach baskets to something that is now below a black square. Um, but they describe it as uh, the corporations owning the teams. Like, it, like it's bigger than just they're sponsored by. These are like corporately held leagues, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a new evolution for sure. And the game continued to evolve because as it became more popular, more and more people were paying attention to it and they were pointing out things that they thought could improve the rules. So not all of Naismith's ideas were winners. This is what we, uh, <laughs> this is what we talked about. Some of, some of this stuff in his head was weird. One of the rules was, when the ball goes out of bounds, it's thrown into field by the first person <laughs> touching it. Does that mean that you Dog just pile. have like 10 dudes running for this ball? It also goes against kind of the spirit of the whole non-contact sport thing. I just picture like a cartoon where it's just a dog pile of everyone just jumping on the thing and piling on top of each other and like a, you know, swirling uh, like dirt kind of dust and then you see a, a player crawl out of the melee and get dragged back in by their leg uh, yeah that that's not a winner uh, as as, uh, as um uh, let's see eric zimmerman uh, who is a professor of uh, game design and game theory uh, notes he, he also noted that it was unclear the rule was very vague and i think did th they they replace this with like a tip-off or something now or maybe it's just Max, help me out here. What, what is the sort of replacement, the modern replacement? So for now this? it's the last person who touched the ball, the other team gets the ball. 
So it's like yeah. you and me are playing against each other and you touch the ball out of bounds, I get the ball. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Easy penalty, right? And you just it changes sides. And yeah. it and it uh incentivizes you not to knock the ball out of bounds. Absolutely. Which is smarter. Absolutely. So one example of this uh is stuff like early YMCA games, the ball landed in a balcony and one team sprinted up the stairs to get it. Mm-hmm. And then two of the players on the other team boosted a third guy up so he could climb on the balcony Mad and get boosties. the ball. Yeah, get the ball first. Yeah, shout out to Jack and Miles. Mm-hmm. There was another tale of one, like a kid who strikes me as maybe one of the ones that you were sort of characterizing as like the one that would just come a swing, come in, punch in, and swing in. Home life. Yeah, tough yeah. home life. He's got a really wicked scar. Um, Lloyd Ware is this kid's name, uh, and Naismith writes about this um, in, I believe, in his in his memoir. Um, um, that this kid took, quote, great pleasure when in a jovial mood in exhibiting a scar that he got when he dived for the ball and came into contact with the sharp corner of a radiator. See, that rule to me feels like a holdover from something like rugby, you know, mm. or like a like a dog pile kind of tackle situation, which, again, goes against the spirit of the type of game that Naismith was trying to create. And to jump in here, like one thing that um, basketball – and baseball and football all all have that's very different than like a rugby or a soccer is there sports that I don't know got invented when clocks were in greater greater like supply so there's pauses and goes pauses and goes we watch rugby and watch soccer it's just constantly going right it's a moving thing like soccer they're like oh we don't stop in soccer and the clock never stops what are you saying they 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 were just lousy with clocks in the old days there were just clocks falling out of the sky this is a time where clocks were more plentiful i don't understand uh what i'm saying is <laughs> in sports like basketball you can pause you can stop the action but it feels like at this point now it feels more like a soccer or rugby where it's like you don't stop you just keep going I see. Because, I mean, the 15-minute clock would probably just hit start, and they just played for 15 minutes. And then if the ball rolls out of bounds, the clock keeps going. Now, in basketball, you stop the clock if it goes out of bounds. And, of course, think about it. Think about this, folks. If you were absolutely unfamiliar with basketball and you watched the first game, probably one of the weirdest things for you is going to be dribbling. Well, it's a weird word to describe bouncing of the ball. I wonder where that came from. Would love a little bit of etymology behind dribbling. It's, it's very visual if you think about it. It is, it is as though the ball were some sort of fluid that is just kind of dripping out of your hand repeatedly and back up like a bead of moisture of some kind. I'm grossing myself out. But yeah, like Naismith's whole rule about not moving with the ball did not include discussion of how you could move with the ball. Right? right. Well, excuse me. There was no moving with the ball. Period. No, once you had the ball, you had to wait for someone to run to a better position. Which is kind of dull, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't add much dynamism to the game. It doesn't add much, like, movement. It sort of cuts down on a lot of the things that make watching sports fun. It right? feels like a PE teacher yeah. game. Right, like, it does. It feels like the teacher saying, look, I've got these kids for two hours, and I can't let them get hurt. Get hurt and I got bad. a wicked hangover. Yeah, exactly. And I am so hungover. These are madmen <laughs> drinking days. You know, there he had a big old carafe of, of gin, you know, in his office. <laughs> Nothing some, else, for some just, reason, gin. Coffee. just gin. Just no, gin and coffee mixed in together. Yeah, exactly. At room temperature. 
Oh, the the place across the street. You know, you know, folks. We're recording in the office more and more often now. The place across the street has coffee lemonade, which I've never heard of. I'm going to go try it after we record. I want to try it. You want to go? I'll we'll, definitely go. You want to go, Max? Absolutely. Uh, maybe. Yeah, okay. We'll see. We'll Let's see. also see if it's pouring down rain still. But yeah. yeah, this was an important addition because a lot of eyes were on the game now, a lot of scrutiny, and we have now. Ding, 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 corporate sponsorships. And there's a lot of money at stake. So they there are certain interests in making the game as um, competitive and interesting to watch as possible. It's becoming a spectator sport. It's no longer relegated to the to the gym, you know, right. with, the, with the incorrigibles. And Naismith feels like at some points he has a dark night of the soul and he wonders whether... People have just taken his idea and twisted it, perverted it into something different. The idea of a player not being able to run with the ball is what he predicated the entire sport of basketball on. And uh, it wasn't until the Yale basketball team introduced dribbling. And and dribbling, you know, basically <laughs> so fall and drops. <laughs> right. That's what dribbling. That's what it is. is. Okay. So I was I was barking up the right. So it was it there. was very it was a very legalistic kind of workaround because they're like, uh, I'm holding the ball, I can't walk. Bounce. I'm walking because I'm now I'm not holding the ball. Bounce. I'm walking. So now I'm not holding the ball. And it may have been more of a byproduct of it, but. It's also an opportunity to do some cool, fancy footwork. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Dribble yeah. it between your legs, sure. do little fake outs and stuff. And I mean, I don't think that was necessarily the intent. It's a good example of something that's established for a very functional reason um, that then becomes a sort of stylistic feature of the game that makes it an, a, a way of flexing, a way of kind of a spectacle, peacocking around. Yeah. That's the word. And, and, uh, these these guys at Yale, the Yale basketball team around 1896, they referred to dribbling first as passing to themselves. <laughs> Ooh, what a bunch of law school. Yeah, but that also, that makes me think of something else. Oh, yeah. What a bunch of law school kids, though, to say that. Like, no, I'm not walking with the ball. I wasn't myself. holding it when I stepped. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm a child. All these Yaleys in there. Mm-hmm. Their fancy shoes. Yes, and, and and dapper haircuts. Their who's who columns in the in the local papers, society pages, exactly, yeah, exactly. And so dribbling might have ended there with just a, a clever loophole, right? But everybody kind of agreed, and even Naismith eventually agreed that dribbling was a really cool idea. Oh, it is, like like, like you said, it led to so many other you know sort of byproducts. Um, did we mention that these Yale guys were really good? That they were sort of the top. Yeah, they, were, the, they okay. were very good. Yeah, so we're yeah. sort of, we're not meaning, I, I'm, I'm sort of ju- in my head just sort of laughing at the idea of late 1800s Yale uh, students being the best at basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it just hadn't hit the cultural high watermark that it, that it ultimately would. It was still very early days. Capital, capital shot, capital basket there, old chum. Did they even let black people play basketball? In these days, no, I didn't think so. No, very no. racist. No, 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 no. Yeah, racist. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and again, I'm not. It took a while. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I'm not saying only black people are great basketball players, but it is such an important part of like hip hop culture, shoe culture, and all of this stuff, you know. And that is really the identity that we have for it now. And it's just you really wouldn't think of it any other way. And then it's just so white bread and dull. The early stages of basketball. Sports you know? have done a lot to uh, improve 
the state of racial discrimination in America, which continues today, obviously. But you know, and they also have their their issues. Too, oh, they have huge in issues. terms of yeah, you know, who actually owns the teams and, uh, and yeah. some of the perhaps that they say. That's yeah. right, and also just the taking advantage at times of of you know young athletes and things uh-huh. like that, and, like uh, know, college athletes not getting paid, not getting paid, yeah. and also just the fact that you can have a very lucrative career or a very like promising career and then get injured to the point of you have no backup plan. And like, it's like, you're kind of toast, you know? Right. Your shelf life in that career can be pretty short. Especially in college, you can get injured to the point where it ruins your prospects Mm -hmm. of a professional career before you even have a chance to get paid. I think the whole not paying college students anything and even making it illegal for them to it's a real to sell things yeah it's well we, it's, it, it has been getting better it has been. I, I, I heard it had this yeah. i heard it had also i wanted to cross reference this uh first uh black bas- professional basketball player first black basketball player in the nba was earl lloyd and it wasn't until make sure i get the date right october 31st 1950 Jeez, man. it took so, a long time so the sport got way better in the 50s uh the also I want to give a shout out to Naismith quote. When he came around to dribbling, he called it one of the most spectacular and exciting maneuvers in basketball. <laughs> uh, and that's the way he's going to sound now. When it's we just splendiferous, I say. <laughs> Swimmingly. Snozberries uh, taste like snozberries. Exactly. I don't know why he's like a Willy Wonka-esque figure in and, my mind. And he, uh, he knew the reason he was saying dribbling was better is because he heard he had seen other attempts to try to bring movement to the game. He said players would lose possession of the ball voluntarily, by which he means they dropped it and they would roll it somewhere. That's kind of boring to watch. Dribbling was um, a much more sophisticated version of this tactic. And later, people like philosopher Dr. Sean Klein would call it a subversion, dribbling as a subversion. Uh, They were adhering to the rules, the Yaleites, but they were subverting the expectations of how those rules would be followed. Hey, Klein, stay in your lane. Stick to talking about Plato. Yeah. What do you know know about sport? Yeah, you can't dribble Nietzsche, bro. It's a subversion. That does sound like something a professor of philosophy would say. You you guys saw that fantastic show, Kunk on Earth. I have heard of it, and I know it's related to... Uh, a really great British comedy The guy person. who wrote uh, Black, Black Mirror. Mirror, that's right. Yes, exactly. Wrote, like, yes. A bunch of other Charlie things. Brooker. Yeah, yeah that's him. Um, you, you especially. It's on Netflix now. And I, I yeah. really, I'm, I, you know, thank you for reminding me because lately I have been Running dry. In that phase where you just scroll for 45 minutes and you have subscriptions to everything, but yet there's nothing for you. And it's very disheartening. We're we're in an age of of oversaturation that yet feels like we have no options at all. I feel it's somehow a uh, mean statement about my intelligence. If I look on Criterion Channel, I'm like, I don't feel like watching any of these. I do love Criterion. I I love it. Recently, there's a great collection on there I think you'd like, Ben. It's uh, Roger Corman directed all of these Edgar Allan Poe adaptations because I guess it was just like free intellectual property, you know, because sure, it was, like, sure. in the public domain. And some of them, like, share the same sets. Like, Pit and the Pendulum and uh, Fall of the House of Usher clearly reuse some of the same spooky skeletons in the crypt. But they're, like, really well done. And, you know, Roger Corman, of course, was a super important creature feature kind of director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave a lot of the best, biggest, you know, uh, blockbuster directors their start. Like, um, James Cameron, I think, worked on the cruise with him and stuff. And, you know, he, he was real scrappy and, and kind of 
figured out how to make use of what he had. But uh, those um, Poe adaptations are great. And there's like 10 of them. And, and uh, Vincent Price is in almost every one of them. I'll, I I really appreciate that, Noel. I'm going to check those out. When you check out Kunk on Earth, yeah. I don't want to split up. I'm no, give I've, you I've head- been meaning to. And thank you for the reminder. Uh, I'll give you a heads up because you'll like this. Um, so Kunk talks to a lot of top-notch experts on history and very specific aspects. Kunk uh, is sort of like an, like a... She's like Stephen Colbert when he's doing the Colbert Rapport. Okay, but it's sort of like a blank slate, kind of like figuring things out, like kind of like taking uh, stock of what this earth is all about or kind of... Aggressive with the profound confidence of the unshakably stupid. There you go. Is the best way to describe Kunk as a character. I got it. But anyway, there's this one guy who's a philosopher that she talks to who is not enjoying the conversation and he's hilarious. Uh, that's what I think of whenever I hear about a philosopher now. I, oh gosh. Okay. Just text me when you watch it. I will. So, I will. For some reason, when you were saying kunk on earth, yeah. I pictured it like a Mork and Mindy kind of situation where it's sort of like an oh, yeah. alien taking in like this absurd planet, but it does not seem like it's that at all, but it sounds amazing. Um, so this idea of dribbling being kind of not popular to some, right? There are always going to be, you know, some quote-unquote traditionalist or people who say, hey, that's against the rules. And they're right. It is kind of against the rules. But if you describe it as amoral, though, like <laughs> like this, this philosopher guy, Klein, he's like, uh, he referred to the amoral underpinnings of dribbling. Right, right, yeah. And then, and then says, uh, later says, despite this, you know, more than a century after the invention of dribbling, it's safe to say basketball is better thanks to it. And points this out, which we we see in so many things. Klein says, in the creation of any game, there are gaps. The players discover these ambiguities and vagueness in the rules. It's the way that the game evolves, which I think is a fair point. No, it is. And I was mischaracterizing Klein. He wasn't saying that he was against it. He was just describing kind of the the evolution of this and how, yeah, it technically was changing the rules, but it was, like he said, more flipping them a little bit and making it a little more interesting. I'm still thinking about Klein now. I, I like the idea of this being Klein's primary mission in life is to stop dribbling yes. because it's no, no, it's good. He's like on a, on a crusade yeah, yeah. to end dribbling. This shall not stand. Only classic basketball as, as Professor Naismith intended. Exactly. Only with peach baskets. <laughs> and they're like, all right, doctor, let's get you back yeah. to the, the bus. Let's get your meds in you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, originally, too, let's talk about the ball. Originally. The soccer ball, right? Yeah, it was a soccer ball. And later, Naismith asked a former baseball pitcher named A.G. Spaulding to create a ball specifically for basketball. I've heard of him. You have, Or at least I've heard of the name. Yes, yeah. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It looked way different than the modern basketball today. Uh, it had... Uh, sutures on it you know yeah like, uh, like a medicine monster. ball almost yeah yeah yeah, yeah very yeah, that's a great comparison and because that this stitched up scar basically running down the middle of it it affected how the ball moved so you had to try to 
bounce it on the flat parts. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's funny though, because the modern basketball still does have those kind of visual seams. Like, I don't know if they're actually doing anything. This is obviously all um, molded, you know, and and all of that. There's a a pattern to it because it is consistently around the, you know, it's spread in a consistent design around the ball. But to your point, it does remind me of when you go to a fast food place and you can tell they put fake grill marks on the thing. That's right. Exactly. It feels like fake yeah. grill marks. That's so funny, man. Um, yeah, and I, and, and I bet to your point, Ben, if you did dribble it on one of those seams, it probably would fly off willy-nilly, you know? It yeah. Wouldn't, it wouldn't be yeah. consistent, so that would probably be a little more tricky. And that's where, that is apparently where trick dribbling comes around the stuff you were talking about earlier you can make it kind of put a little english on it make it go kind of sideways yeah that's cool um so we did say that naismith came around to dribbling he became a dribbling fanboy but make no mistake he didn't love all the changes uh into his sport after he stopped coaching he watched a contest in 1910 between kansas and missouri and he freaked out he freaked out. He said, they're killing my game. He said, the referees are, need to be more authoritative. Uh, he said, you know, this game is full of fouls. I made rules for there not to be fouls. And uh, he, he was irritated with it. And then to your point about corporate America, just one year later, 1911, he published an editorial talking about the problem of, quote, commercialization in sports. Oof, yeah, I think that ship has sailed, bro. <laughs> yeah, even then. <laughs> like what we were talking about earlier with Max, like, uh, how, you know, now it's just, they're just squishing the game. Talk about making the rules malleable for the wrong reasons, you know, to like fit in more advertisements. I mean, this is definitely the uh, early stages of the utter corporatization and commercialization of sports. Yeah, he he said, look, you need to keep money out of college basketball. I hate the idea of, quote, the worship of the dollar in the field of athletics. And then he gets a little highfalutin here. I'm on his side, but it gets highfalutin. He says he's invented his game to be a, quote, a laboratory in which the great moral lessons of fair play and the square deal are taught. Again, Cool, cool idea, but weird. Some truth to that. It is, it is sure. a good, you know, it is certainly if you're young and, and you're learning to play basketball, it's a community building thing. It's a way of making friends. You know, if you're playing in college or in high school, even like you'll, you're in, you're in the trenches with these people. You are learning how to think of others, you know, and not just okay. yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying what That's he's saying point. though is more about the, I don't know, I guess kind of the, idealistic version of what the sport is. kind of drinking his own flavor. He definitely is. No question about it. Uh, And he's going to go on to drink some uh, even more oddly flavored uh, AIDS. AIDS. (laughs) We're going to get to that for sure. Um, But again, that ship has sailed. This guy, it is out of his hands now. Like, truly. He he has passed the ball. Ah, there it is. Whether by choice or just, again, it's just just what happens. Just history. An idea is... You can't really own it at the end of the day, especially you can own, you can you can say I created this or like I made this, but it's like with a work of art, you know, once people are interpreting it and looking at it and then enjoying it and making it part of their lives, then it's no longer even, yeah. it doesn't even belong to the artist anymore. And if it's a good idea, then should it not belong to everyone? And you know? should you not be able to 
improve it. That's another thing, though, that makes it different than, say, Van Gogh going back and touching up his paintings. Like, this is an idea, and mm-hmm. it's a little bit fluid, but then you start to get into these debates, whether it's, like, you know, strict constructionist kind of views of a it's, sport. It's funny you say that because I was, um, I went to the Prado, you know, um, when I was traveling a while back, and they've got a bunch of Picasso stuff, and I heard this amazing amazing conversation from two people i'm still trying to figure out what exactly their relationship was but it's like it was this older guy and this kid and the kid is pretty young maybe eight or ten i don't think the older guy was his father from the way they talked to each other because uh the dad they're staring at the the huge um the huge picasso painting which is the bull fight thing yeah i can't remember the guernica that, yeah, yeah, I think mm-hmm. you're right. The yeah. big one. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. So they're staring at it. And it's kind of slow because we're there on a weekday morning. And uh, in Spanish, the older guy is saying, what's the big deal about this? It's not impressive. You know, I, as a matter of fact, I could do this. And then the Never kid- heard that one before. Right. And then the kid looks up without missing a beat. And he goes, yeah, but you didn't, you won't, and you never will. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's your dad. Game, <laughs> set, match? Oh. How does that go? Yeah. Uh, that that, that, that's that's like, no one can well, knock game, it down. Game, set, like match. You, you, you yeah. are correct. That's okay. tennis. Good. But, yeah. yeah, you got it. Cool. Uh, so, I, know, I know from sports. There Remember, you go. Don't forget love. That's right. what makes a Subaru a Subaru. I was thinking of the the Interstate gas station, which is a cool one. Yeah, it's it's no Bucky's. It's, it's no Bucky's, but who is? Oh, nothing sadder than a Loves across the street from a Bucky's. It's like y'all, just this is not going to go comes well for with tumbleweeds. Oh, it's yeah. Sad. So the sport was going to undergo this kind of transformation yeah. as soon as it got popular. Dribbling probably saved basketball. To be yes. honest with you, no question. And. This goes to something that you were you were talking about at the very beginning uh, when we started this series this week. Basketball is <laughs> something that is continuing to evolve. Uh, Colleen Macklin, in conversation with author Nick Green, Colleen Macklin says, games are a democratic art form. The beauty of a physical game is that you don't have to be a programmer or an artist to make changes. The rules are modified and tweaked and then played by regular humans. So it's kind of like crowdsourcing. That's exactly right. Yeah, and again, the art comparison, it's a tricky one because, you know, sure, art belongs to the public, but also you're not going to go back and change a work of art. Like, that would be considered black, unless you're like George Lucas, in which case you shouldn't do that, one one might argue. But with basketball, or any sport, or like, hell, the Constitution. (laughs) Yeah. It's designed to be somewhat fluid and living so they can change with the times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To to, to varying degrees of success. But I would argue and and agree with you that dribbling was an incredibly important uh, innovation in the sport. And that's where it verges into something poetic because Nick Green says, basketball is the only major sport that can be traced to a single person, but that person's most important contribution was that he relinquished control of his invention. And so he he built the car and he let other people drive it and decide where it would go, you know? And there's, mm-hmm. there's something poetic to that. It's still a work in progress, as you said, and it's gone far beyond just keeping a bunch of rowdy kids from beating the snot out of each other. You know, sometimes we save these these tangents and trivia bits for like a 
our new kind of clip show concept that we're starting to do. But I think that some of these would be a great way to wrap this one up. Yeah, just we, we've kind of been hinting at some of Nate Smith's sort of let's do it uh, otter proclivities, and also the fact that despite having invented the game, he only ever played it twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and like, there, you know, some of the images of of him in those early days are <laughs> hilarious. Like, there's one where it's like him and this like old like kind of washerwoman <laughs> looking type yeah. figure, Kobe. And, he yeah, was not, and he's holding the basket up, and she's just got this like really. It's like it's a again a soccer ball. Um, really, really funny. But yeah, only played it twice. Um. His team in one of those games, uh, the y- the teachers at the YMCA lost five to one. So he did. He played in that original game. That's the five to one game that we were talking about. Yeah. Um. The the one that was for first for public consumption, and the one point for his team that was scored in that game was by uh, his pal, a guy named A. A. Stag, who was kind of the inventor of American football. And uh, yeah, yeah, and. <laughs> It's it's interesting how these stories coincide because Naismith, along with his spouse, Maud Naismith, uh, they invented an early version of the football helmet to help out Stag, and their early version was flannel. It makes me think of like the Pete and Pete hat, you know, yeah. like the kind of, what do they call that, a, a deer stalker hat yes, or whatever, yeah. but like the flannel classic red and black you know, checkered kind of pattern. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was made to prevent something called cauliflower ear, which is a condition that happens when you get bashed in the the ear repeatedly, and it starts to kind of swell up and then stays that way. Yeah, and this is this is strange because he also he also had beef with coaches, even though he himself was a coach at University of Kansas for a while. He thought a terrible play, coach. Right? Yeah, he had yeah, a bad he had record, a losing yeah. record mm-hmm. because he thought coaches basically shouldn't do their job. Oh. He said, if you're a coach who micromanages your players by telling them what to do while they're on the court. It's like cheating, kind of tantamount, huh? You're evil. Whoa. So okay. he was he was way worse more, than evil. He was way more like, I think, a Ted Lasso, where he's like, come on, guys, you know, basketball's a lot like falling in love. Stop falling in love. <laughs> it's like going on a magical journey with your best friend mm-hmm. and being a goldfish. Now you just get out there, you be a dog with peanut butter. That's right. You have a good old time. <laughs> uh, no, but that, but that all that tracks, though, doesn't it? It's yeah. philosophically, he's still stuck in the gym trying to get these horny uh, teenagers to chill out. <laughs> you know, all of this other stuff is sort of against the his whole philosophy of the game. And and I was saying earlier, it almost sounds like he thought telling them what to do was cheating or something. It was like depriving them of the part that actually matters, where they figure it out themselves. Ah, yes. And that is a good point. It is an aesthetic, philosophical point. We also know, and maybe this is our, maybe this is our rap, because I know we're all three excited about this. What happened to Naismith? After basketball, after coaching, uh, if you look at Rob Rain's biography of our buddy James, you find that he spent his years after coaching working on medical experiments. This is a true story. Like a John Harvey Kellogg type figure. He got deep into this. Yeah. Bet he was really into enemas. Um, But, you know, he he, he invented or was developing something uh, called a sobriety tester, um, which I imagine must have been some early form of breathalyzer. Right. Kind of. I mean, they don't really go any further than that. He also had all of these notions about what testing people to see if they had natural athletic abilities. And the test that he developed is bonkers. Oh, yeah. So he would, he was, okay, this is a true story again. 
he would blindfold his students or his patients, right, his subjects. He would clog up their ears. He would put them in the driver's seat of a car and see if they could sustain a speed of 35 miles an hour. Doesn't that just mean that they're like loose cannons and kind of insane? (laughs) What? What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't even involve coordination. What does the test tell you? He says, if you do that, you've got a great kinesthetic sense. And it's like, thank you. I'm glad no one died. No joke. This I is, mean, hopefully they were doing it in like a park, an abandoned parking lot or some sort of test track. But again, he was not a rich man. I'm not sure where he would have conducted these He wasn't tests. even a good driver. No, he himself. hated driving. That's right. Um, uh, and then the last one, I think, which is maybe what we've yeah. been hinting at, he, he invented this like stretcher machine, a stretching machine for children yeah. to like, Help them grow taller. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, for anybody, it didn't have to be for children, just for short kings and, and queens out there. Um, and he was was interviewed about this device by a uh, school newspaper, um, and he said that babies between the ages of five months and one year should be sh- given a good stretching. Oh, cool, tight. But there was something that he was a little concerned about. He did have something that he hadn't quite figured out yet. My torture rack is so effective that the children may never stop growing. Indefinitely. These string bean giants have ruined basketball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the playing field has no longer been leveled. The, the very playing field has been leveled. The other kind destroyed by oh. this device. But what a guy, man. I'm really, yeah. this is such an interesting story. And despite all of the inherent racism, obviously, that we, I wouldn't say we glossed over. Mm-hmm. I think we addressed it just. What what yeah. a what a week, too. And we're not even done because we may come back to this. I think there's more because, I mean, again, we haven't even gotten into the modern era and all of the, you know, again, we've, we've hinted at it, but the tie-ins to fashion and music and, I mean, just the... <sighs> The level of of stardom that that is achieved by you know some of these individuals, it's almost like for it's to me. I don't know about you, but doesn't it feel like basketball is kind of the star sport, star maker sport, more so even than baseball? Like I, household, more household namey kind of. I at this think point? for us, yeah, in in pop culture, yeah. uh, basketball, like very very well known athletes achieve a level of fame that. Uh, transcends the sport that's, itself. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. And you nailed it. I, I would say of the sports, basketball is the one where one person can take over the game a lot more. And in baseball, you could go like four for four with three home runs and your team loses. Football, you like a quarterback can be really good, but like, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Like so these it's, guys it's a can star a maker, series. like on the, it, it, by the nature of the very nature of the sport. Right. Like, like, yeah. like how it's played too is in a lot of systems. Like, you know, our local team, the Atlanta Hawks is, the offense goes through Trey Young mm. and he runs it. So he, they, that person can sometimes get, because they're kind of like, you know, the, the point oh. guard, they're running the whole thing. So they get the attention focused on them, which, you know, doesn't people, that also mean, though, that it, it could be, be more conducive to to fixing games and cheating? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And if you have inside information that a player's not going to be there or something like that, or you could make bets accordingly. I mean, you know? early 2000s, I forget, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. My buddy Kevin would be very disappointed, but there was an NBA ref who oh, yeah. got oh, thrown sure. in prison we, for we, fixing We talked NBA about games. him. Yeah. yeah. And it was easy to do because he'd kind of do it like, death by a thousand cuts, like little calls, little inaccurate calls that nobody could even notice. Those are so subjective. Also, I want to... Scott Foster? I don't think Chris Paul has ever won a playoff game with this guy 
Roughing shout, him? shout out to Brian Tui. Uh, That's right. That was the guy about you know. Sports he, he believes fully he believes, believes all sports, sports are rigged. And uh, and also uh, gather ye Spaldings while ye may. I posit to you that basketball is in its heyday uh, until sumo wrestling becomes more normal. That is a hot take, Ben. Now I can't wait to see. Sumo wrestling sumo is still very, is very popular in Japan, right? I mean, like it's, it's super hugely popular. popular. Yeah. There's also a huge organized crime oh, element to it, totally. Because uh, you know, it's fixing sports, right? I always really liked E Honda in Street Fighter Two. E Honda's dope. Yeah, he, he always fought in like the weird Japanese bathhouse, you know, and he had the cool torpedo move yeah, and yeah. Uh, and the slap. He did a hundred hand, hand slap. Yeah. yeah, good good animation on that. I, I was so disappointed because I thought I was going to go see a sumo match, um, but they're really expensive. Really? They're really expensive. And then I thought, I, I was talking to a friend and I was like, well, what are we paying for here? For equipment or something like that? And he goes, man, it might just be for you know, the upkeep of the sumo. Yeah, guys. massages and stuff, yeah, you know, and yeah. barley. <laughs> I mean, because they might look like they're they might look look like they're not in shape. Oh no, it's a different kind of in shape, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's like competitive eaters, mode. you know. Yeah. Um I bet you too, I mean maybe you, you saw this. I bet you that there are like sumo stars, just like there yes. are basketball stars. Yeah, you know? and I then mean, there's just an individual kind of thing. Like you know? go into business, like how Shaq owns the uh, Krispy Kreme here mm-hmm. in town. They own stuff, you know, you'll be walking by a restaurant and then you'll see a picture of a sumo guy who's just like Big thumb, yeah. you know, boom. I'm into noodles now. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. That makes but that's, sense. But so we we hope we delivered, folks, on what we're saying in part one of this series, which is that even if you yourself don't tune into every basketball game, there's a lot to learn. Oh, man. No, the history you know. of it is so interesting. And, uh, you know, it also being one of only two um, uniquely American sports, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah. And speaking of big deals, we want to thank you for tuning in, folks. We also want to thank some of the big deals on our show. Our research associate, Doc Z, of course, super (laughs) producer, Max Williams. And I don't know if he deserves it, but I'm still going to thank Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quizster, even though he high-roded the heck out of us. Didn't he? He's in the office I right now. You think I didn't see him? He's using the biggest and nicest he's, studio he's just used- for himself. <laughs> I caught a glint out of the corner of my eye, and it was the light reflecting off his bald head. <laughs> he's also in the studio that does not have blinds yet, and never can stare exactly. at him. So he's, he, yeah. he, he, he did he's, that on purpose. He almost knocked he's me down. He's in the zoo. We're in the one with the best AC. Speaking of the zoo, uh, if anyone's going to be he's in, in uh, Vegas, Las Vegas yeah. next week for the iHeart Music Festival, your boys Ben Bolin and Noel Brown will be podcasting in something of a human zoo type scenario. Finally. Yeah. I mean, there, there's like a, a booth of some sort that we will be housed in. Oh. Uh, I hope there's snacks. I do uh, too. I think there's air conditioning, but it is as part of like a, a Bose uh, promotion of some kind, which sure. I love. Bose, yeah, Bose is great. And um, not getting paid to say that. I no. love their products. But um, you can come and put on headphones and observe us like like uh, reptiles in a, in, a, in a reptile house or something, you know? Yeah, I don't. Uh, word is still out on whether or not you can feed us, but uh, you know, be the change, just like James Naismith. Exactly. But uh, we'll be there on Friday uh, doing ridiculous history and yes. also um, stuff they don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in addition to several other podcasts that are in our kind of OG uh, st- stuff kind of network family. You know who else is going to be there? Who? 
Jonathan. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know who else is else is going to be there? Uh, Lenny Kravitz. Oh yeah, TLC. Cheryl Crow. Little Wayne. Yeah, yeah, lots. Of Travis people. Scott, Travis who's apparently Scott. quite popular. Yeah, I'm stoked about uh, Cheryl Crow. I'm actually genuinely kind of dig Cheryl Crow. Remember, I love did, it. Didn't we have a fake beef with Cheryl Crow back in the day? She knows what she did. Okay, fair. Maybe we can address it. We can squash the beef or set it on fire. She just pushes people. I know. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.